Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time on Voice America. This is Mary Woods and I hope you all are having a wonderful Memorial Day. Our guest today is Tara Holbrook who is a licensed clinical social worker, and a certified alcohol and drug abuse counselor. And our topic today is sexual addiction. Uh, Tara is a primary therapist at Seabrook House, a nationally recognized private and exclusive carpet-credited inpatient rehab um, center in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Tara is studying under Dr. Patrick Carnes to become a certified sex addiction therapist and created a special, specialized focus groups for Seabrook House patients dealing with sex, love, and relationship addictions. With more than 10 years of experience in the behavioral health care field, she boasts an impressive resume that includes co-founding the Family Center in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Welcome, Tara, to our show, and thank you for agreeing to spend Memorial Day with us. Thank you. I was wondering if we could just begin by talking a little bit about sex addiction, which currently is not defined in the dsm for our um, If you could talk a little bit about what it is. I'd be glad to do that. Um, sex addiction at this point is um, really a group of symptoms that we recognize in the addiction field as um, problematic that, that um, create unmanageability in somebody's life. Um, you know, we look at it at this point as an impulse disorder or the diagnosis may be um, anxiety and depression because at this point, again, there is no um, diagnosis for sexual addiction <clears throat> per se, although um, I know that the DSM-4 is looking at, at, at that at this point. Um, because of the um, recent surge in use of Internet pornography, I think it, it is now becoming a much more recognizable problem, you know, uh, 30 years ago, you know, people were looking at Playboy magazines or girly magazines, if you will. But with the, um, with the Internet, you know, we're looking at this as becoming a real problem, an addiction that is um, really um, affecting um, men, women, and also our children. And so as it's becoming more and more of a problem, we're really looking at this basically because of the pornography, but it also um, is a progressive disease, if you will and expands to many more areas of, of people's lives, um, you know, with the, with the tolerance. And um, oftentimes when people become addicted to sexual behaviors, the tolerance builds and they turn to other behaviors to keep up the high that the brain chemistry um, creates um, when people are dealing with this, with this we problem. We know with, with other um, addictions such as uh, alcohol and drug addiction, there's a part of the brain that gets, uh, triggered yeah. with the behaviors. And right. I'm wondering is, and there's a certain pathway that um, we can see, in, mm-hmm. like PET scans. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, do, is the same true for sex addiction? It, it, the same is true for sex addiction. In fact, it's, it's the same areas of the brain. We've learned behaviorally that we can change our own brain chemistry. You know, that feeling of love that we feel or in new romance or, or new relationships or in our sexuality, it changes the dopamine. It changes the pleasure centers in our brain. And so what happens is, is people find out that they can change those pleasure centers, and the more that they engage in an activity that's pleasurable, they become addicted to producing more of those, uh, lighting up, if you will, those, those pleasure 
centers in the brain, and it creates that chemistry, and they become addicted to the brain chemistry that they can create through their behaviors. But it's, it's very much the same as if somebody were ingesting a drug. Um, it's just changing their own, their own brain chemistry through their behaviors. What you know, it's the, the same as it's a, the, the, the risk factors. For um, someone developing uh, a, a sex addiction. Well, what happens is, is it's the same as any other addiction. People, people, um, their lives become unmanageable. There's a preoccupation that happens. You know, these are some of the signs of addiction. There's a preoccupation that people, you know, will get involved with it and it takes over their lives. They can, they think about it from morning till night. They think about their next fix, the next time they can get on the internet. If we're talking about, you know, serial affairs, it's the next relationship. If, if it's, um, you know, um, trying to feel good about themselves. It's the next conquest in a, in a relationship. Um, you know, again, pornography or if somebody's acting out with prostitution, it's, it's, it's finding the prostitute. Um, people will, um, will spend great amounts of time doing these and then great amount of time recovering because of the despair that sets in afterwards as people realize that their lives are out of control. Um, people get lost in time. They think, you know, that they're going to be on the Internet for 20 minutes and maybe just check out this new pornography site. And five hours later, you know, they've missed um, some appointments. They're, they're, they're not keeping up with their obligations. Um, you know, they get lost in, in the pornography, and their lives begin to come undone. Um, when you mentioned earlier about pornography being one of the um, tipping points for a sex addiction, is pornography part of the diagnosis? Um, you know, there's so many areas of of um, of the ways that people can act out with sex addiction. Pornography is just one way. You know, oftentimes when we hear um, such as Ted Bundy or, or or rapists, they'll say, you know, I started by looking at pornography. Now, does that mean people that look at pornography are going to be rapists? No, it doesn't. But it it, it begins oftentimes with masturbation, pornography, um, magazines that people want to escape it into and they, they, they either find that they could change their brain chemistry and so they begin to to escape into these activities and find that pretty soon over a period of time they don't get the same high. So they'll switch to something else that's that's secretive. They you know may switch to affairs, they may switch to a different kind of pornography or a different theme, if you will, of pornography to keep that tolerance, that high going. Um and and oftentimes, you know, people will will change behaviors in sexual addictions. They'll, you know, become. I mean, there's many many things, and we'll talk more about that. But they increase the behavior um, because the intolerance in, in, increases. They'll change the behavior to keep up with that tolerance. And so it can be. It absolutely can be a gateway into other behaviors, but doesn't necessarily have to be. Are some people? Um, is there certain people that are more prone to developing a sex addiction rather than? Uh, Cocaine addiction, or is um, it just the exposure and availability? My belief is is that addiction is addiction. I believe that exposure and availability um, oftentimes will um, will be the direction that people head. You know, if if somebody's raised in a in a in a family where um, there's no drinking, there's no um, drug use, but sexuality is out of control, and they have an addictive gene, they probably will turn more towards a, a sexual acting out than they would drugs or alcohol because it's been available to them and it's been part of what they've been raised with. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, if somebody has parents that are alcoholics that they, they might, you know, they might turn to a sexual addiction because that, that's something that, um, you know, they've been exposed to and they, and they 
you know, happen onto the Internet. They've already got the addictive piece, the, the addictive um, DNA, if you will, and, and um, it, anything can become an addiction at that point as long, you know, when they find what's going to change the brain chemistry. The, the, the chemicals in the brain react to um, the, the pleasure centers react to the addiction, whatever it may be. I know for um, other addictions, alcohol and drug abuse specifically, a past history of sexual abuse, incest, or trauma can sometimes is, is well not sometimes but is cur- is frequently um, part of part of the person's past. And um, is the same true with sex sex addiction? It it is tr- it is true. Yes, there's a high percentage that have been sexually abused, but there's you know there there is a a percentage of people who who really don't have a history of um, sexual abuse, and you know, in some ways, um, the internet has really been a breeding ground for people who don't have a, a, a history of sexual abuse, who don't have a history of addiction, and that they get onto the the, the internet and they look at these these you know pictures or images, the curiosity. Um, leads them to look more and more and more, and then as they do this, the brain chemistry changes on its own because it becomes addicted to the activity because they're because you know the increase in in chemicals that they're producing because of the pleasure centers in their brain. So you know, I would say that the introduction of the internet really has increased the number of of, of, of sexual addiction um, or increased sexual addiction in our society. What is the age range that you see in people who have sex addictions? You know, I see um, young men um, often start at the age of 12 years old. You know, they, they um, they'll, out of curiosity, they'll get on the Internet, they'll find sites. They can become addicted pretty quickly, and, and it's very sad because they're just at a developmental stage where it will impact um, their sexuality for the rest of their life, the way that they view um, sexuality by beginning, by their sexuality beginning on an internet um, porn site, and and they can become addicted pretty quickly, um, you know. And and I've also um, dealt with grandfathers. Now, this is not just a male disease, but but um, males become addicted um, through internet, through visual stimulation. Women become much. Women's acting out is much more with relationships or romance or love. Addiction, um, which is a different kind of acting out, but basically the same disease. It's a, it's a changing of the brain chemistry, but women become involved with it um, through relationships and the need to to feel connected to somebody. Um, as we continue to talk, we'll talk about the basis, but it's all about an escape from intimacy or or trying to gain intimacy, have some intimacy, whether it's through pornography, whether it's through relationships, but they don't have the ability to do that, don't know how to do that, and so they, they get the rush in their brain without having to be intimate or knowing how to be intimate. That seems like a paradox. I know it does. It really seems like a paradox. Um, but, when, but when we want something and we don't know how to get it, you know, oftentimes we'll, 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 we'll do whatever we can, and, and in our society we believe sex is intimacy. You know, if I have if if I have a sexual relationship with somebody, we often will say use those words interchangeably, and sex is not intimacy. But our society doesn't view it that way, and so we search after trying to feel connected to something or somebody or sexuality because it feels fulfills some need, and yet it has nothing to do with intimacy. Mm-hmm. So um, currently, sex addiction is uh, considered an impulse disorder. 
do we see it as a, a compulse, compulsive disorder as well? Um, any addiction is compulsive. You know, at some point, um, it, it becomes a compulsion to use. They can't stop. Addicts can't stop. Once once they start, they, they lose choice. And that's, I think, what people have a hard time understanding who don't understand addiction, whether it's um, chemical addiction or sexual addiction or any other kind of addiction, is if you're strong enough, you'll just stop. Well, once that brain chemistry is changed, you know, there is no stopping. The, the choice is gone. I act under uh, compulsion, not from choice. And so once the cycle of addiction kicks in, and really the cycle of addiction is, is the preoccupation kicks in. I start thinking about it. My brain chemistry, uh, you know, is, is basically in a state of craving all the time for this high to happen. Um, and so I, I get this craving state. I move from there into a ritual, and the ritual, you know, can be turning on a computer. The ritual is that could be the sound of the computer if somebody's engaged in pornography. If somebody's engaged in prostitution, it's, it's going out and trying to figure out who you're going to, you know, how you're going to get your prostitute for the night. If you're engaged in, in serial relationships, it's going out and figuring out who you're going to pick, out at the, pick up at the bar. So it may be changing your clothes, you know, um, getting dressed up for the night, turning on the computer, um, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to get money to hire a prostitute. Um, You know, the ritual begins, and and then the compulsion takes over after that. We'll be right back um, with more on this fascinating topic of sexual addiction with our guest, Tara Holbrook. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Ladies, are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time, everyone. Today, our guest is Tara Holbrook from... Seabrook House in Bridgeton, New Jersey, and our topic is sexual addiction. And in our last segment, Tara, you were talking about um, sex addiction, but you also mentioned love addiction and relationship addiction. And could you talk to us a little bit more about the differences? Um, I'd be glad to. Um, 
You know, when we look at, at, at um, sex addiction, there's many areas of sex addiction that, that we um, can explore. Um, you know, there's, there's the, the fantasy addiction where people get caught up in the fantasy life. And, and, you know, oftentimes people that look at pornography can get caught up in the fantasy of all that. But also people can create a fantasy life without pornography or without relationships at all. They can create a fantasy life um, where they believe that, you know, they have somebody that's in love with them, and it may be a complete stranger. Um, and so they create these these fantasy lives um, that include some kind of relationship that doesn't exist. And, it, and again, this is a change in the brain chemistry that people, you know, don't have the skills to create a relationship, meet somebody perhaps briefly that they um, fantasize about or want to become involved with, and they can create a whole relationship in their head. Um, again, it's the fear of intimacy. It's it's not being able to have an intimate relationship, and so they change their brain chemistry really through fantasy in itself. And of course, you know, there's the the pornography and and um, um, masturbation. There's um, uh, people that are exhibitionists, flashers. Um, you know, that that expose themselves. There's um, voyeurs who who are use um, visually stimulating. Um, Circumstances or, or or materials that could be pornography, that could be a peeping tom, um, that are visually stimulated um, through 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 viewing um, sexually explicit things. Um, there's also um, people who try and conquer. Um, you know, we, we see stories about men that have many many relationships with women, who who the name the name of the game is to go out and and meet with beautiful women and 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 you know, take their money or have these wonderful romantic relationships and then they'll leave a woman um, and go on to the next. That's really trying to, a conquering, if you will, kind of um, a relationship that has to do with they want intimacy, they want to believe that, um, you know, they can't have intimacy, but when the, when they're found out, when they when the secrecy of the relationship is lost or the newness of the relationship, the brain chemistry kind of changes in that relationship, they're on to the next. And so... Um, you know, um, women often will will have be in a in a marriage. Women sex addicts will be in a marriage and feel like their marriage is empty, and they'll go out and and find a lover. And then when the newness of that relationship wears off, they'll find another lover. Um, these are all sexual relationships, but they're not or sexual addiction. But they're not about the sexuality. They're about the connection. Um, you know, in 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 the big book of, of Sexaholics Anonymous, it talks about that it's all about the connection. Please connect with me and make me make me whole. We cry with outstretched arms. I mean, that's what they want, the fulfilling of that relationship to make them feel whole. And, and the sexuality is a small part of it, but that's the price often that women will pay to feel some sense of love, although it's not love. They feel some sense of love or belonging, and they'll go through relationship after relationship um, trying to find this love that, that they're not going to have because they're choosing partners who aren't, can't have it, aren't available, or um, don't know how to be intimate either. And so they go through cycle after cycle believing this is the one um, and never finding what they're, what they're searching for. In relationship addiction, is that what you're talking about? Relationship addiction um, can be that, or relationship addiction can also be a kind of codependency. You know, if it involves love and, and sexuality, we, we might say it's a sexual addiction because women become um, 
oftentimes will become involved in a codependent relationship that they can't find themselves, uh, they can't define themselves unless they're in a relationship with a man and, or, or a woman, I, I suppose, if, you know, that's the case, but that they define themselves through relationships. And so um, by, by, by not having a sense of wholeness or a sense of self, they're looking for a relationship for someone to tell them that they're okay, and so they will be sexual in relationships or have relationships. They may even be in abusive relationships that they can't let go of, um, but they find themselves in these love relationships or sexual relationships um, that aren't healthy for them or that they don't really have an, an identity in, but they'll hang on to them no matter what the cost simply to feel that they are um, in a relationship with somebody that defines them. What are some of the medical consequences of sexual addiction? Um, you know, we think of, of um, sexually transmitted diseases as probably being one of the worst, but it's, it's, and, that, and that is true. But it's amazing what, people, what lengths people will go to to be in relationships. You know, I've, I've had listened to, to um, patients of mine who have talked about being obsessed with a love, you know, a love interest and, and trying to find them and the desperation that they feel and driving down the, the freeway and, you know, going 80 miles an hour or, you know, putting their, their, their children in danger, if, you know, if they're in a situation where they're, they're on this hunt to try and find their lover or whatever. Um, people, people it, it's very interesting because they, they can sometimes, um, their life becomes so obsessed by this that everything else goes by the wayside. And so they can put themselves in, in physical danger or not even thinking about themselves or, or what's happening in order to chase after this high, which can be a man, it can be, um, you know, a relationship, it can be um, trying to find, you know, a prostitution or whatever it is, you know, racing home to get on the computer before your, your spouse comes home or your mate comes home because you're trying to live this secret life. You know, people, people put themselves in precarious situations to live out their fantasies and, and do what they need to to get the high. Um, oftentimes we think about um, deviant sexual behavior, whether mm-hmm. it's S&M mm-hmm. or um, sexual abuse or using nitrous oxide and trying mm-hmm. to take yourself. Are these all considered parts of sex addiction, or is this something different? These are considered parts of sex addiction, yes. Um, you know, it's the tolerance that builds. They're trying to get more of a high. Um, in the work that I do here at Seabrook House, one of the things that, that I have developed is a, is a tool of looking at, at, at a timeline. And people's behaviors can be explained oftentimes by, um, by past experiences that have happened to them. And so if people equate sex with pain, because of situations that have happened to them in the past, they may act out, um, you know, they're, they're, as an adult in their sexuality with, with, with sex and pain. And so when I'm treating um, men or women, we will look back to, um, you know, what the patterns of the past are, are. How did they learn about sexuality? What is their history with their sexuality? What is their history with relationships? What were they taught in relationships? Because we can, we can figure out current behaviors and how they're acting out the way they are now, why they're acting out the way they are now, from going back into history and seeing the reenactment of the patterns in, in history. And that, that probably is one of the, the most important tools, I believe, that, that, that I do in working with my patients here at Seabrook House. And also I've done that in my private practice in the past um, because we can, we can make sense of people's behaviors. And I think when, when um, 
men and women come into treatment for drugs and alcohol and, and you know, they, they begin to identify that sexual addiction is part of, of their behaviors also, that they've got co-occurring um, addiction on board, they want to know why. How did I get this way? I'm not just a freak. I can't believe this is who I am. And we can begin to understand for them. And that moment of when they finally figure out, oh, my gosh, I'm just reenacting what I've known from the past, um, it, it's, it's a very therapeutic, um, wonderful time for them, for them to make sense of themselves, to themselves. You know, so often in um, someone's addiction, in the course of the addiction, people may end up in... Um, sexually abusive situations. They may end up prostituting in order Mm -hmm. to get their alcohol or drugs. Mm -hmm. And how do you differentiate that behavior from an addiction? Um, That's a a, uh, a, a tough one sometimes because um, oftentimes when people are involved with um, chemical addiction, they they lose um, their sense of right and wrong, and so they will go to great lengths to be able to... um, Meet their need, their 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 drug of choice, um, and so they may prostitute or or you know exchange drug for sex or or whatever it is. But usually, when we look at their past and and we can, if if they're you know there's not just one thing that they're doing. Usually, there's a, a pattern of, of of sexual behavior that's out of control. You know, unma- their life has become unmanageable in in these areas of sexuality, and so we can see as we look at you know. D- do you have preoccupation with these sexual behaviors or with, with the men or women in your life? Do you have, you know, when you begin um, en- engaging in these behaviors and these sexual behaviors, do you lose time? You know, um, you know, do you continue doing this despite the negative consequences? We look at all the symptoms of, of sexual addiction and we're able to see is this indeed just a symptom of your drug addiction or is this something that we need to take a look at? In early recovery, we often counsel people no relationships for the first year. And um, oftentimes, some people are just driven in early recovery to hook up with someone because they, as you were saying earlier, um, to define themselves or for that sense of in- intimacy. And at, at what point in early recovery are you, are you able to see that this is really um, an addiction, a, a co-occurring addiction, as opposed to you know, people just um, not knowing how to to identify themselves other mm-hmm. than being part of a relationship. Right. Well, when they first come in here at the Seabrook House, we have an assessment um, that we um, will give men and women. And at that point, we're looking at patterns from the past. You know, where where are they now? Um, and then when they're when they come into group, um, as they begin to talk about, you know. Their, their behaviors and, and how they answered the assessment and why we can begin to see if indeed these these behaviors are already on board or if um, they're just they're just acting out now if they're in my group these behaviors are already on board and so in my group we're talking about these you know the, the need for people new new in recovery to want to um, numb their feelings with a relationship you know they're going to come in here they're going to be without their drug there's going to be men or women in the community, and if we're used to getting um, high off of relationships and knowing that we can escape into a feeling, there's going to be that need, that desire to want to hook up with somebody to escape the feelings that are eking out all over. And so um, it's pretty normal in a um, in early recovery to switch addictions, to begin a new addiction, um, 
which may include, you know, a sex love relationship addiction. I mean, in the walls of AA, the 13th step, which is a joke, but it really is about picking up the newcomer. Um, that, that's, that's rampant in our AA meetings because of that need to reach out and escape. And we'll be right back to talk more with uh, Tara Holbrook about sexual addiction uh, in just a minute. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. To savor something means to delight in, to absolutely enjoy. So why not savor yourself? Author and internationally acclaimed speaker Doris Smeltzer brings her message to the airwaves with Savor Yourself, Beyond Skin Deep. Plan to spend an empowering hour with Doris where you will learn to recognize your worth and your beauty beyond society's limited one-size-fits-all mentality. Savor Yourself with Doris Smeltzer, Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. on the East Coast, only on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today, our guest is Tara Holbrook who is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified alcohol and drug abuse counselor. Tara works at Seabrook House in uh, Bridgeton, New Jersey. And we were talking about um, early recovery and the vulnerability of um, both men and women that uh, they're feeling raw, they're, um, they're in a lot of pain, and the temptation for a lot of folks is to jump into a, uh, a relationship and could you talk a little bit more about how we differentiate that from a sex, sex addiction and um, the whole process of relationships and early recovery? Yeah. Um, I, I think this is, is very important to um, newly recovering people because I, I believe that it's a real um, vulnerable time. People get clean from... Um, from drugs and alcohol, they do it in a support group with people who understand. Um, oftentimes, um, you know, it's it's a mixed group, males and females. They're sharing the the intimate um, 
things of their life, and they're feeling a connection, maybe for the first time in their life. And so as they feel this connection with with the people around them, the support group, oftentimes it's, it, it may be for some of them the first time that they really feel, really feel an intimacy or a sense of love. And so right away, if, if they've been acting out sexually um, with any kind of... Um, you know, if, if love to them has been sex, then right away they're going to turn this, these feelings into sexual feelings and believe that, you know, they, they want to have a relationship which would include sexuality. And so, um, you know, we, the idea that, um, you, uh, need to stay out of a relationship for a year is a, is a very solid, very good idea because, um, they will have the tendency, um, early, Recovering addicts will have the tendency to want to hook up, not only to feel better, but because they're making connections for the first time in their life that feel like love. And it gets very, very, very confusing for them. Um, you know, that happens in treatment. Oftentimes, um, patients will fall in love with their counselor or with somebody that is, is paying attention to them or, or, you know, that they're making a connection with because this nurturing or this support um, feels like love to them. And so even though... Um, it, it may not be a sexual addiction or a relationship dif- addiction at that point. If they begin to engage in, in that behavior, um, they change the brain chemistry. They can become addicted to that just as easy as they could the, the, the chemicals because, again, their brain's off and running and the change of brain chemistry that they produce, um, not through ingesting a drug, but by creating it in their brain through the brain change. How, how do you treat um, these addictions, the love addiction, the relationship addiction and the sex addiction? Well, you know, they're, they're treated very similar, although the symptoms may be very, very different. They're treated very similar, and, and that is that we begin to understand what's happened, how was this created, what happened in the past, whether that includes sexual abuse or not, because for all sex addicts that I've worked with, um, there is a sense of abandonment a sense of disconnection, the bonding and attachment um, that we, process that we all go through, you know, young in, in our developmental years. Oftentimes there's been um, something that has happened. And when I say something that has happened, oftentimes people will think, well, you know, a parent's left, there's been some abandonment. It doesn't have to be that, that dramatic. Um, oftentimes, you know, we, we'll go back and um, we'll find some crisis that happened that a child felt that they were left alone or that they were left... Um, without the care of a parent that they that they had that they trusted and loved. I mean, when I was doing doing this work um, in the West, there was a, a situation where there was a, a whole area that was flooded out by a by a dam that broke, and I had two men in my um, group that had talked about the abandonment issues, and the abandonment came from um, times when the flood had hit, and um, their parents were either had left to go help people that were involved with the flood or that they were victims of the flood and they felt that their parents were torn, torn away for months at a time trying to deal with this crisis that had happened and the trauma that they were left with was a feeling of abandonment. Um, and, and it was very fascinating to me and has been fascinating as I've done this work over the years to find out that abandonment is only perceived abandonment. It does not have to be actual abandonment. You know, back when I was growing up, when, when kids were hospitalized, 
um, for operations or whatever. Parents were only let in for a couple hours a day. And so oftentimes, you know, I've looked back at these hospital stays that these kids have, have feelings of abandonment from. Now, it's not that I be, I've developed a sexual addiction because I was in the hospital when I was young. That's one small piece that we can put together of how this person has felt has the issues of abandonment, you know, that's compiled with other other times that they have felt abandoned and don't know how to connect or or or, or um, don't have the skills to be able to connect with others, um, feel isolated and begin to act out in situations where they don't have intimacy because they don't know how to develop that. That's really fascinating because when we think about the, the triggers for relapse, oftentimes it's around uh, points in people's life when they gain more independence. Mm-hmm. Either from their um, mm-hmm. recovery community mm-hmm. or from their outpatient treatment or um, just, you know, treatment in general. That um, people with long-term sobriety, as they age and their partner dies or, um, you know, they they retire. Right. Their kids go away to school. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these and these times of abandonment come up or success. I mean, it can be, you know, I'm doing this and I, I don't feel... Maybe that I deserve it or, or the abandonment issues come up. I mean, and again, really, this is a reenactment. These times are a reenactment of the past. It may not be what's happening right now, but, but it triggers all the feelings of failure in the past or I'm not good enough or the abandonment issues come up or whatever. And that's why this work of looking back in the past, understanding the attachment, the bonding, um, the abandonment issues, and understanding that what I'm feeling right now is, is, is many instances that happened before that I have come up with a belief system that's a faulty belief system that I re- need to, to redo in my sobriety to understand that I can do these things, that I'm not abandoned, that I'm not alone, that people aren't leaving me, and that I really can do this and learn to be successful at it, and that I don't have to keep reenacting the patterns of the past that sabotage my life. Right. You know, um, it sounds like the, one of the main components of treatment for sex addiction is really being able to do a longitudinal assessment, a very in-depp longitudinal assessment. Yes, it to is. Help to help con- to connect the dots. And it, it, it also sounds like cognitive restructuring is part of, of the treatment for sex addiction. It, it is. It, it is. Um, you know, it, it's it's um, we really are restructuring a belief system. In many ways, um, you know, when 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 right now I'm I have a group of women that I'm working with, and when we're talking about you know um, relapse prevention, it it is you know taking a look at belief systems and my faulty belief systems. You know, when we take a look at, at the addiction cycles, part of that is um, you know we believe that an addict is a, is a certain way. You know, we have in our mind what a drug addict or an alcoholic is, and we have an idea of what a sex addict is. And until we reach that. Um, we are not that, and so that keeps that denial um, in place, um, deeply rooted in us, because until we get to that point, we, we may have problems. Our lives may be unmanageable, but until we change those belief systems, we can continue to say, I'm not an addict or an alcoholic because of what our primitive belief is about addiction. And it's the same thing with, with, with us acting out you know, in, in our addictions. Until we get to the point where we understand that these faulty belief systems um, no longer service, or these faulty beliefs from the past that were really um, survival skills for me are no longer working, and I've got to change these belief systems. Um, I'll continue to relapse if I, if indeed I don't change my belief systems about what I know about my own sexuality or my abandonment issues or the perceived abandonment that I feel 
or the, the fear that I have about intimacy from the past. In, in the treatment of sex addiction, are gender-specific groups more effective than a mixed gender group, or does, does it matter? You know, I, I believe that there's pros and cons to both. Um, I believe that as people get sober and have um, periods of sobriety, that, that you can learn so much from mixed gender groups. Um, but initially, as people are, are, are first, you know, working out of it, uh, their way out of sexual addiction and understanding it, I think that, that same-sex groups are, um, are probably more beneficial at that time because they have a tendency to want to escape into, um, you know, a, a relationship or feelings of support through, through, I mean, it's like having your drug right there in, in group with you. Now, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it's the only way to do it. I just find that um, it's very beneficial to have um, mixed um, groups, but at the same time, I think in the very beginning, it's, it, it's, it's good for them to be able to explore their own sexuality without um, opposite sex in, in, in their groups. In addition to um, structured therapy, is mutual help or self-help important? treatment of sex addiction? Is, is what important? I'm sorry, Mary, I didn't hear that. Self-help? Self-help is, 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 is very important. But I, I think that self-help groups, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Let, let's let's um, go ahead. We'll take a break at this time and then let's come back and talk about that. Okay. As Tara so uh, eloquently put it, we'll be right back. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Would it be crazy if you just stopped everything, packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? Would people think you'd lost your mind? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? A village crowded with Buddhist temples, not skyscrapers. A place where there isn't a word for recluse, but a thousand words for community. Would it be crazy to go 5,000 miles from home? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To build libraries and fill them with stories? Prepare a meal with food you helped grow? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself. Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time with our uh, new co-host, Tara uh, Holbrook. Uh, Tara, we were talking about the importance of self-help be- before we went into commercial, and um, could you just expand on that a little bit? I'd be glad to. Um, I just don't believe that, that addicts um, can do this alone. Um, I think that they need other people around them who are going through the same um, kinds of recovery so that they can, can use... Um, each other to to um, begin to share feelings with you know in, in addiction the secrecy is is so um, important to the addiction and it, it really does fuel the addiction and so when we've got a group of supporting people that that you have to be real and honest with and and talk about what's going on um, and understand that there's other people who are further along on the path that, that do have some answers for you um, I believe that that's how people um, get sober and stay sober. Um, I don't know how people do it without a support group um, because what what we're learning, especially with sex addiction, is we're learning about relationships. We're learning about ourselves. We're learning about interaction with people. We're learning about intimacy, intimacy without sex for the first time. And um, and so, you know, that that's what we learn in relationships with trusting people, and that's what we find if we're, if we're looking for it and we're healthy enough. That's what we find in the 12-step meetings um, I know is that, that connection with others. I know with like co-occurring disorders, like um, people with major mental illness and, and substance use disorders, uh, oftentimes the traditional mainstream self-help groups, kind of um, some groups are less tolerant for people with mental illness mm-hmm. than even the group. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would think that the stigma around having a sex addiction and probably even the discrimination that people experience must be much more significant than, than other addictions. It is. There's there's a, there's a real stigma about sex addiction, um, because people look at that as you know the worst of all addictions, and and so there is a or not a, even being real. They are not even no being real. Thing. Yeah, or that there is no such thing. Yeah, you know, one of the questions that I get all the time is, you know, can people be in the sex industry, and 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 do you believe that everybody that's in the sex industry? Um, are sex addicts, and the answer to that is no, I don't. Or you know, can you can you um, look at pornography um, and be a casual user of pornography without being addicted? I believe that you can, but I also believe that the brain chemistry can change so quickly with these addictions that that you never know when you've crossed the line. You know, and if you're equating um, pain and sex, um, I, I don't know healthy people that equate pain with sex. But you know, those those that's become like because I come from the field of addiction and understand how those things are tied in together, um, and so there's a lot of controversy about that. Um, you know, um, but but I, I'm you know I work in the field of addiction, and so I'm not really talking about healthy sexuality or people that are coming from a place of healthy sexuality. Right. You know, what I treat is people that are lost in addiction that want to do something different because their lives are taken over. Bisexuality, or or by a sickness that has to do with sexuality, that's manifested through sexuality, but really has very little to do with with sexuality. Yeah. As my my son will say to me, as mom, not everybody in the world 
has an addiction. You that's what my know everybody in the world that has an addiction. <laughs> that's what my sons say to me too. You look at this so differently, Mom, than the rest of the world does. Yeah. 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 You know, you'd mentioned in our earlier segment how addictions are very similar. And what I think is, while that I believe totally is true, I don't believe that all addiction providers are equally um, competent to treat all addictions. No, I agree with that. And I'm I, just wondering, what is the process to become a sex therapist and, certif- and certified in well, sex addiction? I want to make it very clear that sex therapists and certified sex addiction therapists are two different things. Okay. Um, sex addiction therapists are not sex therapists. We are addiction. We are um, we specialize in the, in the treatment of addiction, um, and and we understand sex addiction and can treat sex addiction. But we are not sex therapists. Um, and again, a sex this is, therapist would be somebody who would treat someone who is. Um, you know, having difficult functioning in a sexual role. Exactly. Yes, having having problem areas in their sexuality. We're talking about a person who is addicted, who is acting out sexually in their addiction. And not all addiction therapists are qualified to treat sex addiction. And think. not all. Well, all all sex addiction, all CSATs, sex addiction um, therapists are are um, certified to treat sex addiction. Yes. But not all addiction therapists. But not all, addi- not all addiction therapists are, no. In fact, um, that the only um, certification that there is right now is the CSAT, um, and that's the one that Patrick Carnes is, is, um, has been training therapists under, but that's the only certification at this point right now for sex addiction therapists. So for consumers listening to our program, um, how would they go about finding a certified uh, sex addiction therapist? You know, if you just Google it on the on the on the on the web, you can find um, you can find a sex addiction therapist by just googling CSAT. Okay, how did you get interested in this? Um, you know, it was interesting. I was working in the field of addictions, and I and I found that there were so many um, people who who would get sober, and yet their their sex addiction was still rampant. You know, I'd go into the rooms and see people. Um, um, hitting on each other or joking about the 13th step, and I'd see that they were just acting out in their sexual relationships or, or relationships with, with each other and, and still acting the same way as far as addictively, but they do it with each other. And in these relationships, you know, I'd see women um, getting dressed up and doing the same kind of ritual stuff that they do in their in their chemical addiction, and yet they were doing it to to attract a male or, or, or males going through relationship after relationship or... I mean, it, it was just interesting. I'd have I'd, I'd have patients come to me who had been sober for many years and said, you know, I've got these affairs going on or I'm addicted to pornography. And I began to understand that oftentimes, you know, sex addiction um, is either a switching of addiction or is, a, you know, a, a, a dual addiction um, with chemical addiction. And so I began to look into it and and decided that I wanted to find out more about it. And indeed, I, I it's an area of interest for me and and love doing it. Um, at Seabrook House, is sex addiction treated inpatient or outpatient? Sex addiction is not treated at, at Seabrook House. What we do is okay. we treat chemical dependency, and we have a track for, a track for um, people who are identified in an assessment, sex love relationship assessment, who have those are, areas that are problematic. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they have an addiction on board, but through the assessment we've identified that there are problems 
areas with their sexuality or their relationships. And so what my belief is, is that the quickest way to relapse is through our relationships, if indeed we are in codependent relationships or if we're in relationships um, that might include um, sexual addiction. And so we really take a look at those as we're looking at the, the drug and alcohol addiction. Um, so it's not that we treat sexual addiction here, although at some point, you know, maybe we'll, we will look into doing that. But right now we're just looking at a track that treats um, the symptoms of uh, sex love relationship problems along with drug and alcohol problems. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I guess this is, uh, I don't know whether you have any data to, to provide, but just um, from ex- your experience, do you see more men or women that have sex, love, and relationship addiction? I see more men with sex addiction. I see more women with relationship love addiction. When we talk about codependency, I don't think that there's a difference between the sexes. I think codependency is the same across the board. Um, When when you hear someone say, I can't be alone, I always need to have Mm -hmm. a partner, Mm -hmm. um, is that... Is that an addiction, or that is that... that is an addiction, and that's that falls into codependency and relationship addiction, okay. and that is the fear of of the abandonment either coming out or they don't have a sense of self, and so they define themselves in, 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 through another person. You know, you connect with me, you make me feel good, then that makes me feel good. I don't have um, enough sense of self or, an, or enough ego strength to carry me on my own, and so I need to. I don't know where you begin and I end. And conversely, someone who is just commitment uh, phobic and you know keeps everybody at arm's length is that it can be the same an, ad- an addiction as well. Yeah, you know we talk about sexual addiction, but we also have sexual anorexia. Uh-huh. You know, oftentimes um, when people are sexually addicted, they are having no sexual relationships. Um, you know, if they're if they're into pornography, oftentimes they aren't connecting with another human being, and so they can be sexually anorexic but also sexually addicted. And when someone has like uh, like a major mental illness, be it schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, um, and they have, uh, you know, they're acting out sexually, is there a way to, is there a way to differentiate that? You know, those are, those are really tough because I don't deal with a whole lot with mentally ill um, people. I haven't worked with a lot. I, I need to decline that question because I, it's not part of my expertise. Um, you know, I think if people are working and, and, and taking their medications, absolutely they can be treated, um, and, you know, and need to be treated. But that's, that's um, I haven't worked a lot with the, with the mental, mentally ill and sexual addiction. Well, this has been a fascinating hour, and I've learned a lot, and I really appreciate your coming and sharing your vast knowledge with us on sexual addiction. So thank you, Tara. Thank you, Mary. Everyone week, and we'll see you next week. Same time, same channel. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.